Ezekiel chapter 2 verses 4 to 12. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, the living stones, are been built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Not to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone, and the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes people fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Over the last few months, my car has been making funny noises. It's never a good sign, is it? Um, actually, scraping noises, probably the worst kind of noise, and metal versus metal kind of noise. And it's been loudest when we've been using the brakes. Uh, it's been going on for months. Um, sensible thing to do would be to take it to the garage to get these things sorted out. We delayed that a little while. Um, but we did take it to the garage a few weeks ago. The MOT was due. Uh, in fact, it was overdue, if I'm honest. Um, so we got it booked into the garage, and perhaps predictably, it was not good news. Things had gotten worn down. The car needed shoring up. And the theologian N.T. Wright says, if we are wise, we regularly take a car to be serviced so that anything which is starting to go wrong can be put right. <laughs> Thank you, N.T. Wright. Uh, in the same way, we need to remind ourselves frequently, seriously, and thoroughly who we really are. If we don't do that, the constant message from the world around us that who you are is defined by what you do, or the titles you have, the money you earn, even the way you feel, will eat away at us like rust into a car. It'll start scraping. We're in a four-part teaching series entitled, We Are. We're looking at the passage in 1 Peter that Nikita read out so wonderfully, that Charlie Pierce read out the same passage last week, um, Nikita this week, and 
and that is a passage that reminds us of who we are as a local expression of the global church. And last week, Adrian kicked off week one. We are built on Jesus. And today, we see how that means that we are a spiritual house. But perhaps you're new around us, whether you're here in the room or whether you're online. And we just want to say you are completely and utterly and absolutely welcome. And maybe you are new to the Christian faith, just looking in. You're, we're so, so glad you're here. And everything we're going to look at is open to you as well. And I want you to hear it all as an invitation in. You may have lots of questions, and that's really good. We'd love to talk. And perhaps you're here today as, as one of our youth. And I want you to know that this is for you too. What we're about to look at is not just boring stuff for people of a particular age. We're going to look at what it means to be truly alive. And that's open to the youngest child, to the oldest adult, and to the coolest student like yourself. We're studying this letter from Peter. And Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples. And the letter was written to scattered communities of early Jesus followers across the region of Asia Minor which is modern-day Turkey. And some of those followers had a Jewish background, but most of them did not. A large number were pagan converts who had left that way of life and the gods and the goddesses of the pagan uh, way of living, and the people around them embraced them. They'd left those. They'd left the customs and the practices and the lifestyles that were just normal back then in order to follow Jesus. And it was costly, It made them feel like outsiders, excluded, not understood, mocked, teased, often discriminated against. Perhaps sometimes you feel a bit like that. Like everyone else just lives life so differently to you and you just feel like such an outsider. I know that for many of you who are at school, you will be the only Jesus follower in your class and that can feel like a lonely and vulnerable place. uh, Peter is writing to these people who themselves felt lonely and vulnerable. And he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What does he mean by spiritual house? Well, this is temple language. You are being built up into a temple. See, the people that Peter were writing to knew about pagan temples, but he's wanting to catch them up into the story of the Jewish temple, which they're now being drawn into, and so are you. Unless they and we understand the story of the temple through the scriptures, what it means, what it represents, what it's all about, unless we understand that, we'll miss the impact of what Peter is wanting them and us to grasp. So we're going to tap into that story a bit now, and we're going to do that by watching a video. Um, So make yourself comfortable, get your popcorn out. Um, This is from the Bible Project. There's loads of videos of theirs on YouTube. They're fantastic. Um, But I want you to really concentrate, because there's much to take in. So go for it, Phil and Julia. If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it was the home of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. 
Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation as king. That's cool, but even Solomon, who built the temple, didn't believe that it could contain the God of the universe, right? Yeah, the building was just a symbol, and it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about. Really? It says that creation is God's temple? Well, it doesn't need to say it. The whole story shows it. In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, they did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest and he didn't work in the temple. Right, Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule was filling the world through his own life, death and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple and this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So at the end of the story, do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world 
with his people. So you might want to re-watch that again in your own time, and maybe in small groups this week that would be a good thing to do, but that's the sweep of the temple, what it's telling us all about. The temple is always about heaven and earth coming together, God making his home among us. And for a particular moment in time, that involved a particular building in a particular location, the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple was about God's presence, and it was a place of devotion, and it pointed towards new creation. But there was a lot of gatekeeping needed because sinful humans like me could not get too close to holy God. But his plan was always that all of creation would be filled with his presence, would be his temple for the whole of the universe to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's what the prophets say. And Peter is saying to his readers in this letter, the times have changed. Jesus has launched a brand new way to meet with God. Temple looks different now. Reverend Meredith Loftus is a Presbyterian minister in the States and she explains, Peter is calling these early Christians, residents of Asia Minor and non-Jews, to be part of a new temple of God, but a temple unlike any they've thought of, a temple without walls or boundaries, a temple where they and we are the very building blocks. It's a game changer. Game changer for them and for us. So how does that work though? How are we a spiritual house? And what does that actually look like? Well, those are the questions we're gonna now look at for the next few moments. So firstly, how are we a spiritual house, a temple? Well, if you have your Bible on your phone or, or with you physically, why don't you open it up at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to work through those first two verses together. We're going to walk through them, okay? So verse 4, verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, As you come to him. To who? To Jesus. We only know who we really are as we look to Jesus. All of the first chapter of 1 Peter is expressing exactly that. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our whole life as believers is tied inextricably to Jesus. It is through his resurrection that New birth has come, for he is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the one who has broken the curse of sin and death at the cross and risen to be the head of a new creation that death cannot touch. It has all begun in him. And by faith, we are joined to him and share in his life. As you come to him, and now the come there is a present participle, which means that it involves continuous coming. Not a one-off. It's not about having a dynamic experience that you can keep referring back to. It's about having a dynamic relationship that you can continue to enjoy day by day, moment by moment. We come to him as we pick up his word and see him in scriptures. We come to him as we pray. We come to him as we take in the majesty of creation. And we come to him especially when we gather together in his name. 
See, the you Peter talks of is plural. As you all come to him. If I was an American, I'd say, as you all come to him. Week on week, we gather on a Sunday and in small groups through the week. And we gather in his name as his people, looking to him, trusting in him, celebrating him, getting to know him in song, in prayer, in the Bible teaching, in the bread and juice. We come to him. Verse 4, he is the living stone. It is Christ who has brought heaven and earth together. He is the ultimate temple. Colossians 2 verse 9 tells us that in him all the fullness of God dwells bodily and you have been given fullness in him. It blows my mind to think that when Jesus walked the earth, God literally rubbed shoulders with men and women in the marketplace. He could bump into him. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Christmas is coming, folks. (laughs) Christ is the one full of the Holy Spirit, sent by the Father, heaven's King, come to us, bringing healing, speaking truth. Setting captives free, humbling the proud, raising up the humble, feeding the hungry, forgiving the sinful, seeing the ashamed, welcoming them in. Verse 4, he is the living stone, rejected by men. Crucifixion was the ultimate rejection. Jesus was cast aside from the human race by both the religious elite, the temple officials, and the irreligious elite, the Roman, if you like, by church and state, coming together to reject him. But God was at work in his crucifixion, rejected by men, yet there on the cross, it was in fact the fallenness of our humanity that was truly rejected. Christ took on himself our broken state in all of its pain and ugliness and condemned it there at the cross, That way of being human, self-centered, sin-infected, it cannot endure. There's no life in it. It's not true humanity. Christ has taken it down to the grave. And so Peter says later on in 1 Peter, Christ died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's the great gift, to bring you to God to make you alive. Rejected by men, verse four continues, but chosen by God and precious to him. Christ, the crucified one, is risen. He's alive. That's what makes him the living stone. He stands at the head of a new creation and from him flows life for all who trust in him. The one who trusts in him shall never be put to shame, Peter says. Freely Jesus gives what is his, righteousness, life, the spirit of God. He is now, he is now the meeting place with God. God is his closest faith. Not this mountain, not that temple, Christ Jesus. God is just as holy as ever, but now all can come through Jesus who has opened up a new and living way through his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. 
And so verse 5 says, Therefore you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Built up into a temple. A dwelling place of God. The only way to be truly alive is to be filled with the spirit of life who hovered over the waters in the beginning. And Christ freely gives the spirit as the cornerstone upon which we're built. Just a brief aside, this is what baptism is all about. A symbol of union with Christ. Plunged into the water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are joined to him. His name is placed on you. One with the Son, beloved of the Father, empowered by the Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 2, when the people are hearing about Jesus and they say to Peter, what must we do to be saved? Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off. Baptism is about being joined to Jesus, filled with the Spirit, part of the spiritual house, a living stone built on the cornerstone, marked out as his, wearing his name. Maybe that's for you. Love to talk to you about that after. This is how we are a spiritual house. What does it actually look like then to be what we already are? What does it look like to be this living temple? Well, I've only got time to talk about two things, and maybe only one thing, but I'll try two. It looks like presence, and it looks like devotion. Remember, the temple is all about God with us, heaven and earth coming together, joined together. And as living stones, we, Oasis, as part of the universal church across the world, believe it or not, we're the place where God dwells. Do you believe that? That's what Peter's saying. When we come together, we should expect to meet with God and to know him among us. We are living stones in whom the spirit of God dwells and coming together, we make up a holy temple centered on Jesus, the cornerstone. Oasis is one such expression. Along with our brothers and sisters in the Anglican and the Methodist and the Pentecostal and the Presbyterian and the Roman Catholic and the Evangelical Free and the Orthodox Church. We get to enjoy God together. And we do it specifically, us here, in the community of Oasis. Henri Nouwen says that community is that place where people you did not choose are always there. I love that. Community is that place where people you didn't choose are always there. Every week you are there. And so am I, I'm afraid. And we might not have been friends were it not for Jesus because with different personalities, different hobbies, different fashion, different cultural backgrounds, different political persuasions, but we are more than friends because we are joined together as living stones to make up a spiritual house where God dwells by his spirit. I don't pick and choose who's in my church. God chooses. You are a gift to me and I to you. It's his church. And this house grows as others are added in and there's room, there's space for many to come to be built up into a spiritual house. You know, when we gather, whether on a small group on a midweek or here on a Sunday, and, um, and I hear your voices singing songs of praise to our God, and maybe Nikita rings out, uh, reads out the Bible 
And maybe Vince brings a prayer or, or writes a prayer in the chat. Or perhaps Pete will bring a prophetic word and maybe Jean will explain the Bible to us and perhaps little Lottie Campbell will show me her art in OKC and give me a cheeky grin. In all those ways, God's presence is communicated. My eyes are lifted to Jesus and I know myself to be part of something bigger than myself. Spiritual house. Let us not neglect meeting together. But this is not limited to physically sharing the same space. Though that is so important, it's wonderful to be together, whether online or here in the building. But God's presence is made known among believers, even as we're scattered all over the world. I just want to tell you a rather unusual story of something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. When I was on holiday, um, I had a very... A real vivid dream about a friend of mine called James. He's a doctor who lives in, in uh, Somerset. And it was a very non-specific dream, but I dreamt about him and his family. And I woke up from that dream knowing I needed to pray for James and his family. Uh, I couldn't go back to sleep until I had, so I prayed for them. It was a very general prayer, just that God would bless them, that he would look after them, that he'd give them grace for all of life. I went back to sleep, and in the morning I remembered, and I just dropped him a text saying, James, I just woke I had a dream, and I felt I should be praying for you in the night, and um, is there anything specific I can pray for? And he, within moments, messaged back. He's an ITU consultant, so I wasn't expecting a, a quick reply. And he said, um, Mike, that's very precious and prophetic. He said, my father died in the night, and we as a family were gathered around his bed. And, and, and a few days later, he texted me and said, we just keep talking about that dream you had, Mike. Because the presence of God was communicated to them. I'm just, a, I'm just Mike, but a living stone. And God in that moment had used me to make his presence known to people who are also living stones, part of his spiritual house, but many miles away. God loves us. He knows us. We're his. Now that's an unusual story. More usually, someone comes to mind and you just think, I ought to pray for that person. Or you're reading the Bible in the morning and you're encouraged by a verse and you think, I'm just going to share that with, with your small group on your WhatsApp. That's a more usual way in which God's presence is made known to us in different ways and we get to know him amongst us. But this is not just a, a comfortable huddle. It's for the sake of the whole world. We as living stones who, who know the presence of God amongst us, take that presence of God with us to our various places of work and residence wherever we go. Let me tell you another unusual story. And I don't have many, I'm telling you all. I'm telling them all. Um, a couple of months ago, I was, at, I was at work, and I'm working in a hospital, and I was just writing up some notes, and then a colleague called Rachel, who I didn't know was a believer, but it didn't surprise me, um, came up to me and said, Mike, on the, on the way to work, I felt God give me a word for you today. Do you mind if I share that? She says, a bit strange, but do you mind? I said, yeah, no, of course. God just said to me, tell Mike, keep praying. That was it. I said, thank you, Rachel. I, I will keep praying. Um, uh, half an hour later, another colleague came up to me and said, Dr. Mike, please could you pray for me? And wanted to t and told me about some things that were going on which were distressing them. God had used one living stone to, to remind me of his presence, to encourage me, so that I could communicate something of the presence of God to someone else who he wanted to know um, 
He wanted them to know he loves them. He knows them. He's with them. That's an unusual story. The more usual version is like this week when um, I was interrupted when I was trying to send some emails at work. A little bit frustrated. Um, But someone looked just pretty stressed. So I just said to them, are you okay? And this colleague just proceeded to tell me how her um, son had had a mental breakdown the night before she'd been up all night. She was really worried about him. All I did was listen. And then at the end said, do you mind if I pray for your son over these next couple of days? Yeah, oh, please do. Please, please do. Just very simple. Just very simple. We are living stones. We get to take the presence of God with us. And then we come back together and we celebrate him together. Being a spiritual house is about presence. And very briefly, it's also about devotion. Temple was a place of devotion. And as living stones, we're called to live a life devoted to God. Peter talks there about spiritual sacrifices. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 to 16, spiritual sacrifices are, are, are defined as being raising our voices in praise to God and then serving those around us with good works. Vertical, praised be to God. And then around us, just good works, just acts of kindness. Because when people see our good works, our acts of kindness, they get to taste something of the goodness of God. And then Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope you have in Christ. You know, when they see your good works and understand who God is. And that might just be as simple as saying, well, just come and see. Come to church. Come to Alpha. Maybe just come and see for yourself. It's about, though, firstly, starting with that placed posture of devotion, enjoying God and who he is. If you're anything like me, though, sometimes things can get in the way of our devotion to God. Distractions that can set themselves up as competition with Jesus. That happened with money in the physical temple, and Jesus overturned tables. And I've asked myself this week, are there any tables that need overturning in my life? I sometimes worry too much about what people think of me. I sometimes get a bit dazzled by titles and status. And the Lord wants to overturn those tables in my life. It's a judgment on those things in order to set me free to enjoy unhindered devotion to God as a living stone, part of his temple. I wonder whether there's anything like that for you. You know, the Corinthian church, there's lots of things that needed overturning in that church, lots of messiness. And Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The messiness didn't stop them from being who they are. They were God's people, God's temple. It maybe just stopped them from fully enjoying who they are. Let's let's just live lives of devotion, enjoying the presence of God as we gather and as we scatter, devoted to him. We're going to sing now a song of devotion in response to this. And this might just be an opportunity for us to, where we are, just say, God, is there anything in my life that you want to put a finger on that maybe just things need to be just changed a little bit? Maybe it's that you're someone who God wants to speak about drawing you in for the first time, to know him as the cornerstone that you can build your life on. We'd love to speak to you afterwards. Maybe you're someone who wants to be baptized. Again, come and speak to some of us at the front afterwards. We'd love to speak with you. This week, enjoy being who you already are, God's people, part of a spiritual house, living stones built on the cornerstone who is Jesus.
Why don't we stand and we'll sing together?